So what advice would you give an aspiring investor that's, you know, six to 12 months behind you? Yeah, the advice that I would give is to find a mentor that has been where you want to be. Um, I know a lot of people don't want to invest the money into a mentor, but mm-hmm. I could really fast track your progress. And I I absolutely believe it's worth it. Yeah, I, I did a mentorship program as well. And I think uh, it, it definitely accelerated. I like how you use the word fast track. I think it reduces the time it takes to get your first deal. And for most people, you can actually you know get a larger first deal or do it better in a lot of ways. This is the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast, and I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Now, this podcast is designed for the aspiring apartment investor and literally gives them the opportunity to ask the questions that will help them get to the next level. So if you're an aspiring apartment investor, this podcast is for you. Now, this podcast is brought to you by the Tribe of Titans Multifamily Educational Community. It's your one-stop shop for learning how to succeed at apartment investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Very excited for today's show. I know I always say I'm excited, but I'm extremely excited when I have repeat guests on, especially like we have today. Rowena came on you know, about a year ago talking um, on the podcast as an aspiring investor on one of our Ask the Expert series, and she's back to talk about her first deal. So Rowena, welcome. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate the opportunity to be on here. I'm excited as well. Yeah. And oh, by the way, it was great was meeting great. you in person last month. Very, very good to, to always shake hands and and see people real face-to-face, not Zoom face-to-face. It was nice seeing you. Yeah. So let's uh, talk about you for a second. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm a wife, a mother of three amazing kids. Mm-hmm. Um big believer in God. And I have a passion for helping people build wealth through real estate. All right. Now, I I like the order you put that in. I think, you know, uh, is that is that your priority order for your different roles? Say God first. God first, God, family, and then everything else, right? Okay, well, good. Good for that. So um, wife, mother of three, real estate investor, believer. So um, what did, did you did you have a job as well, a, a career prior to real estate investing, or were you just uh, wife, mother, and and uh, everything that's associated with that? Yeah, prior to real estate investing, I was a professional engineer mm-hmm. for a utility company, um, running multi million dollar projects, and you know managing teams of up to thirty people. Okay. Yeah. yeah well, that's that's uh, that's a lot, and I would imagine that your experiences there have helped you significantly with real estate because a lot of what we do here is uh, very similar to engineering, you know, managing teams, managing projects, managing budgets. Um, now, where where were you um, doing that? We're doing it with a, a city, a private company. Um, the utility company here in San Diego. Okay, nice. SDG and E. Yep. I knew that we, yes, I knew that. Um, I have paid, you know? <laughs> yeah, I paid thousands and thousands of dollars to SD in my life. You know, it was, uh, um, a sticker shock. You know, the first time I moved to San Diego, I think my first SDG and E bill was like $400, you know, and, um, really got us turning our air conditioner down low and, you know, trying to conserve as much energy as possible because, 
Um, it's one of one of the areas of the world where utilities cost a lot of money. So, um, so you worked for SDG&E as an engineer. You managed some projects. You managed uh, um, some teams and a pretty large budget. Uh, what got you interested in real estate? Yeah. So what got me interested in real estate? You know, um, I had a successful career in uh, engineering. My husband also has a successful career. He's a IT lead for mm-hmm. um, healthcare company. Um, so we're living the American dream, you know, mm-hmm. on the surface level, but deep down, like me and my husband, we were going through a lot of issues in our marriage. Um, we were just so exhausted after work, didn't have time for each other. And um, it just causes, caused a lot of problems in our marriage. So knew I had to find something, another solution to become financially independent. Yeah. So, so two people work in W2s and we see this a lot and, and thank, thanks for being, you know, honest and vulnerable here. I mean, that's, it's something that happens to a lot of people is, you know, both spouses get really busy. Both spouses are, are working on you know, careers and you've got family and um, a lot of times relationship gets put on the back burner. So you, you got to a point where you're having problems and you started looking for, you know, other ways to get that financial freedom to essentially get your time back is what I'm hearing. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Um, when I was growing up, my mom, my parents were divorced, so she had to take care of her, to take care of us and she struggled financially and I didn't want to put my kids through the same thing. So that yeah. was my, my why. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that happens a lot. You know, I, I see a lot of people, I think, I think that's every parent in the world. I remember my dad telling me when I was younger that, you know, he did everything he could to give us a better life than he had, Um, you know, and he, he grew up right around the poverty line. Right. So anything above that was better. And I think me as a parent as well, you know, we're, we're trying to do the same thing with our kids, you know, make sure they have a better, better life, better childhood and better opportunities than we had. Uh, when we were their age too. So I think, I think that's a common trend among parents. Uh, I would imagine worldwide, you know, make sure your kids have a, as good or a better life than you had and more opportunities. So you came on the podcast uh, about a year ago. Uh, we, we linked you up with a, a guy named Zach Happenstall, who's done amazing things. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what you learned on that podcast episode? Yeah. What I learned is, um, you know, he gave me great advice, you know, just to be persistent and persevere through mm-hmm. any challenges, you know, you never quit. And yep. um, it's all about building relationships with other people, too. So yep. that was very helpful. Yeah. And he, he's done extremely well at that. Uh, you know, I, I follow him on LinkedIn and um, I think they just hit their billion dollar mark on on acquisitions, which is absolutely amazing. Um, so, yeah, ended up. uh Ended up lining you up with one of the the bigger fish that we've had on this podcast, but uh, at the time I think they were only around two hundred and fifty million. So I, I don't remember, but they they've come a long way since. But uh, um, have you have you talked with him since, or is it just just that one time? Yeah, I still con- connect with him. So it was like a blessing for me. I would never have known him yeah. if I had not been on this podcast. So yeah, yeah, and that, that's one thing that's that's fun for me to see. Um, I've had several several people who came on the podcast and the ask the expert episodes who've reached out to me two or three months later and said, Hey, I just closed a deal with this guy, you know, and Hey, I'm glad you linked us up. We're now working together type stuff. So there, there's a lot of goodness that comes out of it. And 
Um, I like what I do. Let's put it that way. I really like this, this podcast format and, and what we do here. So you're great at what you do, Brian. <laughs> you. I appreciate that. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about, you know, your journey into real estate. So coming from an engineer, um, what were some of the challenges you had getting started and specifically in the multifamily space? Yeah, the challenges um, that I incurred was um, when I first got onto your podcast, you know, I was looking at trying to find my own deal and mm-hmm. focusing on a market that's close to me. So Arizona. Yep. I, fortunate to connect with Zach, who's also investing into Arizona, Um, going through that, trying to find the deal. It was very difficult. And I found that that was not what I wanted to focus on for Mm -hmm. multifamily syndication. What was, what was kind of the, the trigger for that? I mean, I think most people do what you, you were trying to do is you try to find deal first. I think most people put deal first. What was your trigger? or What was that aha moment for you when you realized that maybe you're not the deal finder? I think the aha moment for me was um, I had the opportunity to co-GP on mm-hmm. this deal that we closed on. Mm-hmm. And my main focus was um, capital raising and found that I was a lot better at doing that than trying to find the deal. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, um, I, I think now a lot of a lot of the, the gurus and the educators, you know, try to lump people into either deal finders or capital raisers. And um I don't, I don't necessarily disagree. I think there's, you know, it's a little more complicated than that, but uh, so you, you were struggling finding a deal and somebody gave you an opportunity. Um, So let's, let's tease that a little bit more. So how did you come in contact with the group that you co-GP'd with um, and how how did you meet the people and how did this offer to co-GP come about? Yeah. So this person that uh, I co-GP'd on, she has a mentorship program to help people achieve financial freedom. Mm-hmm. And so I joined her program and was able to quit my W-2 job mm-hmm. within less than a year of the program and just developed a relationship with her mm-hmm. um, throughout that time and then had the opportunity to co-GP on this deal. Okay. So what, so she has, is it a financial freedom? What, what does she do specifically? And is it a multifamily specific one or, or, or more broad mentorship program? It's a broad mentorship program. I mean, um, covers if you want to invest into short-term rentals, multifamily syndications, um, or invest passively, just whatever you want to pursue. And um, it teaches you how to get to financial freedom the quickest. It comes up with a strategy for that. All right. And and, and the person who runs the mentorship program, she's the one that gave you the co-GP or did you meet this person inside the group? She's the one that gave me the co-GP. Her name is Ariane Lemire. Okay. Ariane. Okay. Good. Good. Tell us a little bit about the property itself. Uh, you know, how big was it and where was it at? <clears throat> and some, some general information about the property. Yeah. So the property is located in Ridgeland, Mississippi. It's mm-hmm. 129 unit. Okay. Um, class C property in a class B neighborhood. So it's like a place where everybody wants to move to. Mm-hmm. That's great school system. Um, diverse economy. Nice, nice. So, so Mississippi, you know, hundred plus units, and this this is hard to come by. I think this is what a lot of people look for. You know, a C class in a B class neighborhood because it it really helps you put some you know value into the value add. <clears throat> um, 
And good schools is always a nice to have. I think a lot of the apartment complexes, I deal in C-class apartment complexes, and most of the C-class apartment complexes are not in good school districts. So that's an added benefit. Um, helps you to bring in more rent, helps you to bring in better quality tenants as well. So a lot of goodness there was just a location. We, we, we talked a little bit about the deal, a little bit about, about the location. Um, what was your role in everything? Yeah, so my role was um, as part of the due diligence process mm -hmm. as well as capital raising. Okay, so tell us a little bit about the the due diligence you did and and what you learned from that. Yeah, so for the due diligence, flew out to Ridgeland, Mississippi, and walked all the the units, um, checking to see, uh, making sure that the renovated units that they had mentioned in the offering were actually renovated. Um, mm -hmm. So we did find that. They were actually renovated, so nice. Yep. yep. Used there. Um, yeah, and then as far as the due diligence, you know, just um, tracking um, how many units needed to be renovated and make sure that our budget um, matches up with what okay. we had expected. So I'm guessing the business plan on this one then was to um, finish the renovations. It sounds like the previous owner had a lot of the renovations done. And you guys were just going to finish the renovations, bring it all up. Now, were you planning on bringing it all up to the same level as the previous renovations, or were you guys going, you know, a little bit better or not quite as good? What was the what was the comparison between what you you guys are doing and what the previous owner did? Yeah, pretty much just bringing it up to what they had previously renovated to. Okay, nice. Um, we've de I've definitely toured properties, you know, that we we've had our contract during due diligence, and it's it's been hard to tell which ones were renovated. You know, I remember getting a list of these are the renovated units and walking into some of them and looking around. I'm like, yeah, it's was probably renovated 10 years ago, you know, but uh, um, good, good that you had, you know, a lot of good that you guys are able to walk in and say, yes, these were actually renovated and in, in good condition. So that that's important. Um, <clears throat> so you did due diligence. You did some of the capital raise, uh, let's talk about the capital raise itself. You know, um, what was the biggest, I guess, learning point for you in, in raising capital and how did you go about it? Yeah, so the biggest learning point for me is always to raise more than you are trying to raise for. I originally had an opportunity to code GP on another property. So I already had like interest there and I went under the assumption that it'd be pretty easy to make my raise. And when it actually came down to the wire, a lot of people dropped off and yep. You know, I was panicking and had to just go down down the list. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's uh, that's true of I think everybody who's raised capital is doing the same thing. You know, if you're if you're committed to a certain amount, overraise. It's a lot easier to handle those handful that that drop out when you overraise. Um, if you if you just go up to your mark and you think everything's good, you know, when one or two drop out, you know, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to scramble. You have to scramble. So not not a good thing. So um, so overraised. Now, how did you go about um, extending this opportunity to the people in your network? Basically, just doing email notifications, mm -hmm. text messagings and phone calls. So everything okay. that I could. Yeah. Now, um, do you, did you have like a, a drip campaign set up at this point? Were you were you sending them regular emails already or was this like the first um, first time that you had really tried to raise big numbers. This was my first time trying to raise big numbers. Mm -hmm. I had a monthly newsletter, but it wasn't focused on the actual syndication. Okay. So more focused on mindset. Okay. 
All right. Did you find that that uh, newsletter helped? I don't think it did. Are you going to continue to do that newsletter? Or are you going to change the newsletter? What What are you going to shift in the future based off what you learned on this uh, this capital raise? I think in the future is just um, having more conversations with people mm-hmm. regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, I okay. think that's where I can get the most success out of capital raising. Yeah. Building relationships mm-hmm. on a personal level. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's that's strong. I mean, the more the more conversations you have, the more opportunities you have to um, to raise money in the future. It's sometimes you you get people interested. Sometimes when you're talking to people that uh, you may have just recently met, you know, if you don't talk about it, they'll never know what you do, and it's, it's a lot harder to raise money from that point. All right, um, so let's rewind a little bit. Um, talk about. Finding the deal piece. I mean, you said you you weren't involved in the finding the deal, um, but you know how the the group found the deal. Yeah, the group found the deal through broker relationships. So she had closed on a, another property in an area close by, and the broker um, liked working with her, so gave her this opportunity as well. Okay, so this this was a repeat um, opportunity between her and the the broker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I see that a lot too, where, you know, you, you make a relationship with a broker, you do one property and, and the brokers are really quick to send you another property because you've just closed and they, 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 they value that relationship and they, they think that, Hey, these guys just closed on one. I'm going to put another one in front of them, see what they can do, see if they can get closed on this one. So um, I do see that happen very frequently. Um, so how, how did the closing process go? I mean, we, Talking about the the capital raise and and the due diligence piece, which were where you had your main involvement, um, were there any big hitches? You know, getting up to the closing table. Yeah, so there was a lot of hitches along the the ride for closing. We were supposed to close in December last year, and we ended up closing three months after. Okay. So it was really hard because that was my first capital raise, and having the tough conversations with my investors that was mm-hmm. that was hard. And what? So you're supposed to close in December and end up closing in March. That's that's a big delay. Um, what what else? Uh, anything else big that was uh, contributing to that? Yeah. So this one was a loan assumption. It has a prepayment penalty. So the best strategy was to do a loan assumption, and it was. Difficult to work with the seller. Seller wasn't providing the documents that we needed to close. So there's a lot of delays in that. And yeah, we've done a couple of loan assumptions and there, there's lots of moving parts. You know, the the people who are assuming the loan, you know, it's, it's just like um, for the most part, it's just like qualifying for a regular loan. Um, and lenders, lenders have a habit of asking for a bunch of documents and then not saying anything for a couple of weeks and then asking for another bunch of documents. And then, you know, it, the, the process continues. You know, my, my favorite, my favorite thing with the lenders, and this has happened a lot with us, is where they come out and say, Hey, we need your most recent financials again. I'm like, we just gave them to you two months ago. Yeah, but it was two months ago. We need them over again because we took too long. But with the loan assumptions, the owners, have to produce, you know, similar documents, you know, so it's not just um, the, the buyer that has to, you know, appease the lender, but the owner does too. And it seems like every assumption we've done has been delayed because of the owner as well. You know, the owner's out of town, the owner hasn't put in documents and um, at least that's what the, that's, that's what the lender tells us, you know, that they're, oh yeah, we're waiting on the owner for something. So anyway, it, it does, it does delay, you know, I think most loan assumptions take a lot longer to do than uh, a brand new loan, but 
you know, yeah, I think there, there's, there's a lot of reasons to do loan assumptions, you know, especially in this case, you said there's a high prepayment penalty, which means um, it's better for the seller and you can probably negotiate a lower purchase price, you know, assuming the loan. So a lot, a lot of stuff there. So um, how's the property performed since you closed in March? Uh, this, this episode will air in June, but it's, it's still May right now. So how's it gone in the last two months? Yeah, it's going great. We have a strong asset management team. Um, they uh, hit the ground running and got a new property management in place, um, working on renovating the remainder of the units and getting those occupied. Nice. So. Nice. Awesome. Sounds like things are going well. So what's next for you? Focusing on my family now. I mean, originally before I got into real estate, we're having um, marriage issues. But now that I have the time freedom, I'm able to spend more time with my family. So doing that and also um, have a passion for personal development and growth. I feel like, you know, if I can increase my mindset, I can also help others, you know, overcome their mental barriers. Mm-hmm. And then also um, pursuing my passion for helping people um, achieve wealth through real estate. Nice. Sounds like you got a full plate and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad things are looking better for you and hopefully they continue to look up. So what advice would you give an aspiring investor that's, you know, six to 12 months behind you? Yeah, the advice that I would give is to find a mentor that has been where you want to be. Um, I know a lot of people don't want to invest the money into a mentor, but... Mm-hmm. I could really fast track your progress. And I, I absolutely believe it's worth it. Yeah. I, I did a mentorship program as well. And I think uh, it, it definitely accelerated. I like how you use the word fast track. I think it reduces the time it takes to get your first deal. And for most people, you can actually, you know, get a larger first deal or do it better in a lot of ways. So I appreciate that. And last question for you, how can listeners learn more about you? Yeah, you can find me on my website at, True tru purpose capital.com or you can follow me on Instagram at mm-hmm. Rowena underscore Augustine underscore TPC. All right. And we'll have links to that in the show notes. So if anybody's interested, definitely check out the show notes, you know, swipe, tap, and that magical internet thing will whisk you away. So anyway, uh, Rowena, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Great catching up again. Great talking about what's uh, what you've been doing since uh, the last episode. And hope to bring you on again, you know, in the expert chair after you've closed another couple. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. It's great being on here. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast by the Tribe of Titans. If you're still listening, you obviously liked it. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already. And then make sure to check out our YouTube channel, which incidentally has a ton of video content that you'll also enjoy and learn from. Now, if you're interested in being on the show, go to our website, diaryofanapartmentinvestor.com and fill out the questionnaire on the website. And for more educational content and for more information about our educational community, check us out at thetribeoftitans.info.